I'm India and welcome to the second series of the Starter Ripple podcast. This series is proudly sponsored by Cotswold Outdoor, the outdoor experts working to change the fabric of outdoor retailing. And you can find out more about their sustainability mission and services on their website. Now, this podcast is a platform for me to chat with inspiring folk that are making ripples in their lives by moving in nature. And I'm here to find out a little bit more about how this connection with movement and nature is having an impact on their mind, body and the environment too. And I hope the conversations that come from this podcast will encourage you to get outside, move, dream big and see what happens from the ripples you create. All right, it's time to introduce my guest. Rob Martineau is the writer of Waypoints an account of his 1,000-mile walk in West Africa, which explores why we're drawn to wonder and the ways a long walk can reset a life. Outside of writing, Rob is the founder of Tribe, a nutrition company and Tribe Freedom Foundation, a charity that fights human trafficking. In this episode, we explore the good and bad side of solo adventure, the power of walking as a healer, and how kindness can be found in strangers. Hello, Rob, and welcome to the Start a Ripple podcast. Thanks so much for having me, India. Great to be here. Ah, it's awesome. It's awesome, awesome getting you on the podcast. You're the last guest in the second series. So, yeah, super, super excited to have you here. Um, so could you just start by telling, that, telling listeners a little bit about your background, kind of where, where you've got to in life, where you've been? Um, so it's an idea of kind of looking back at the ripples that you've made in your life up until now. Give a bit of context. <laughs> Um, so I suppose two main things um, that, that I do. I'm firstly a writer, so I'm the author of a book called Waypoints, um, which hopefully we'll talk more about, which describes uh, a walk in West Africa and explores how a long walk can be a healing and transformative experience. Um, and then alongside that, I'm co-founder of a company called Tribe, and we make uh, natural sports nutrition products, so amazing energy and protein bars. Um, and also have a charity, a sister charity called the Tribe Freedom Foundation, which exists to um, combat human trafficking. And so those are the two main, I suppose, like blocks of, uh, of my life in terms of, of work. Um, and I suppose I was really excited to, to be having this conversation with you is certainly through my life, I suppose, some of the key like junctions um, where I've made changes in my life have come about through long journeys and journeys where I've taken myself out of my old life my old life was working as a lawyer in a law firm and going into nature spending time uh, on my feet and living in a very different way and those a couple of points in my life have been the I suppose the gateways for me into what I do now and so uh, definitely really resonated with me um, the themes of your podcast and your experiences so really yeah excited to have this conversation yes amazing so so okay let's go back then you you worked for a law firm um and then you decided I can't do this anymore I need to change up my life what sort of what happened between I guess those years where you went I need to change what I'm doing to then suddenly walking across Africa 
I think I'd sort of fallen into um, law. I was really privileged, obviously, to have you know, had an education at university and um, to have the opportunity to go to law school. And I was funded through law school by a law firm, and I started work um, at that firm. And I quite quickly became, I suppose, disillusioned with the, the lifestyle. It began to feel to me that it wasn't doing me good. I was working often 80 or 100 hour weeks. I was eating often three meals a day in the office canteen. I was spending probably like 22 out of 24 hours inside each day. And I began to feel, I know that things just, I suppose physically and in my head as well, that I wasn't um, living my best, or I suppose producing my, uh, you know, some, an environment, an environment that was best for me basically. And I began to feel I needed to change, change something. Um, and I'd always been interested in the idea of um, like a walking pilgrimage, not so much in a like directly religious sense, but the idea that you could go on a long journey on foot and through that discover something about yourself and change, in a sense, change yourself. Um, I've read lots of books which explored those kind of ideas back through stuff like Walden, Theroux and more modern journeys as well. And I, I suppose I had all of these ideas bubbling around um, and I began, I suppose, planning a, a journey. Um, and the idea really that is described in Waypoints just began as, could I go on a long walk um, and, and change my life through it? And I was at that stage, just had the idea for the walk. I didn't have an idea of particularly anywhere I wanted to go, um, but I'd always, through writers I love being drawn to that region of West Africa where I traveled to, which is the countries of Ghana, Togo and Benin on the Atlantic coast in West Africa. This amazing part of the world. And I began I suppose, looking at maps, reading more about it. And I came to quite a natural juncture at the, at the law firm um, to leave and I handed up my notice and, and bought a flight to Accra and it, in which is the capital of Ghana and, and spent um, six months walking there. And it was an amazing, we'll talk about it, but a really amazing journey. And it definitely opened my eyes to so many things and it completely sort of changed the course of my life. Um, mm, yeah, and I know that sort of whilst you decided to make this big change, you also kind of created some new rules in your life. Is this, is this right? And you decided to limit like the number of possessions you had. Um, so why was this and, and what, what did it do for you to do such a thing? I think part of the idea of the walk for me was that it would almost be a bit like a fast, that I was struggling in the, the lifestyle I was leading. Um, I felt like I had so many inputs coming at me from so many different places and that they were all kind of chucking information or stimulation at me in ways that I didn't really want but I didn't really know how to kind of not just keep doing them, keep replying to the emails, keep kind of going out for drinks, keep doing all the stuff that I, I didn't necessarily, I hadn't really stopped to query why I was doing it or what it was doing to me. I was just kind of doing it all. And the idea for the walk quite consciously was to try to pull myself out of that um, and live in a very different way. And one of the elements and something I explore a lot in waypoints, particularly in the kind of desert section was, uh, restricting the amount of possessions I had, albeit just for a short period of time. It's a bit gimmicky in some ways, but the idea was that I wouldn't have more than 40 possessions. And um, partly it's practical because walking, I was carrying everything on my back. Um, you know, I was at my tent and, and so on. So if you have too much, it weighs you down and traveling light is an advantage. But also I think in terms of my headspace, it was something that I was really drawn to. The idea of 
kind of living in that minimal way um, and having a really pared back routine. Um, one of the things about walking that way is it really, hey, you only have one kind of goal each day. It's a really simple way of life. You get up, you have your miles to complete that day. You walk them, you get to where you're going to set your tent. You set your tent. I'd rinse my clothes, set them to dry, make some food. I'd sleep and then I'd come and do it again. And actually that rhythm of life um, coupled with, you know, not having much that you could distract yourself with. Like I didn't have an iPhone. I didn't have a TV, didn't have any of the, the things that are normally chucking so much information um, out at one or at least in the lifestyle I was living. Taking myself out of that, I found a really, yeah, like really beneficial. Um, and I, I think I took a lot from it. Um, do, you, but, do you still limit the amount of possessions you have in your day-to-day -day life now no <laughs> I mean no so definitely it was a kind of for a period of time I definitely try to keep um I suppose take some say lesson sounds a bit arrogant I mean lesson to take some of the things I learned from the walk and apply them into my day-to-day -day life um, yeah I think it's that idea that the more you have the more you want hmm. right and and you can easily get into the trap um, both with possessions and with I guess sort of life's journey of, of doing things because you should have them rather than because you need them you know and and I once listened to a podcast about minimalism and it, it was sort of saying you know you buy a house and you've got your house and then suddenly you have a hallway and because you have a hallway you need a rug runner and because you have a rug runner you need a hoover and it was sort of going through all the things you have one thing and then because you've got that you need something else to look after that thing and it just accumulates and you look around the space that you've got and you just go wow how this has happened without me realizing um but it can be a really detoxing feeling i think can't it just letting go of of physical possessions and um and yeah and realizing that actually you know you managed to get by with just 40 items were there were there items that you ended up losing along the way because you thought actually I don't need this anymore yeah I definitely chucked stuff as I went and and sort of light, lightened the load and as I think definitely walking and I do a lot of sort of long distance running and I suppose like light mountaineering and definitely just like keeping things as light as possible has such a benefit <laughs> um so yeah. no certainly it was but I really yeah. Yeah, what you're saying about minimalism really resonates. I love uh, one of the books I, I talk about a lot in Waypoints is Walden by by Thoreau. And he was written like 200 or 250 years ago. And it's really funny reading him talking about furniture as if furniture is the most unnecessary thing. And he's kind of talking about all the people in the 18th or 19th century kind of becoming um, accustomed to furniture as if it's something that we shouldn't need at all. And it's quite funny, even now it seems absurd not to have furniture, but actually mm. I'm so kind of attuned. So I suppose our comfort levels or what we deem like comfortable has become so kind of cushioned in a way. Um, yeah, it's funny because we, we've got a, a, a sort of, I guess a bit of a random connection, but in our garden, we've got an area where sort of, where, I think they're sweet peas or something grows like that and it's quite wild and we've never planted it but my dog loves sitting in it like her bed like she creates like this dog bed around it and we we now leave that area to be grow wild because she just loves it and it it makes you think you know she doesn't need a 
cozy fluffy dog bed that I think she needs you know because she's quite happy to sit in the bushes <laughs> and it's like that's her favorite place ever and um yes yeah, it's just maybe think of that when you're talking about furniture as this sort of bizarre concept but I guess is that is that why do you think walking appealed to you because walking you don't need any equipment you know there are plenty of sports out there for example I love paddle boarding um I need a paddle board to paddle um I need I need the paddle itself you need the fin all those sort of things whereas with walking I guess technically you need a pair of trainers but do you even need that you know bare feet is is this one of the reasons why doing doing an adventure like this on foot was was so appealing I think definitely I think walking is a really it's been really interesting during through lockdown seeing how this bigger thing walking's become for lots of people is in a sense the only activity people could often do and that walking for me I think the way that it's so simple um, and that you can access lots more places on foot in a sense you're not restricted by where the road is or um, that was definitely a really appealing element to it and I think one of the the other main things was what it allows in terms of I guess connection with places and with other people you move moving really slowly um, so you're typically moving at like three miles an hour you can't really speed up much beyond that um, and you in a sense you're quite vulnerable you're just on your own with your pack and I found that that allowed me to travel in a way that I think would have been harder by any other I suppose means because it seemed very natural to arrive in a place that might be far from a guest house or a store and for people to kind of take take you in and to be given food and a safe place to sleep and to spend the night there and to create some fleeting connections and then to move on the next day and actually moving that way day by day um, was a really amazing way to travel and I think some of the connections I was able to kind of build with people were because I was on foot and actually if I'd arrived even on a motorbike or a four by four or whatever it is one you wouldn't need to have stayed in the places I stayed because the distances you would never really stop stop there um, and also the there would have been a barrier that wasn't in quite the same way when I arrived on foot and so I think from that perspective it was a really it's a really amazing way to travel um to travel on foot mm, and it's, it's interesting you, you talk about that um the connections that you made being so special um but were you ever because obviously you did this by yourself were you ever lonely or did it just did it just that idea of kind of walking by yourself with just your pack and then meeting other people along the way to give you the opposite feeling um was there ever times when you thought oh I'm so lonely I'm just by myself <laughs> give me friends no definitely there were periods like that especially in parts of northern Ghana which there's much longer distances between the settlements and I'd spend like long days on my own maybe two or three nights in a row camping on my own and definitely that can be hard in its way partly because you don't have many distractions and so you're just alone with your feet your steps and your mind and that is is kind of challenging but also yeah you miss people and miss those interactions but I suppose for the majority of the journey I was often I'd be walking alongside people so I'd be walking 
someone be walking village to village and I'd walk with them for an hour and then they'd peel off and I'd walk by myself for a bit and then someone else would join on the track and we'd walk together and so often I was with people and often people were curious to what I was doing so you'd have like natural conversation um and so I didn't too much and I think a lot of again some of the ideas I try and explore in waypoints are that difference between like solitude and loneliness as I think solitude can be a really important thing and something that I I was consciously seeking out in some ways and I thought it would be good for me um and walking often is I think when people go on long walking journeys or even short ones you know going away for the weekend walking often they are looking for that um that experience of solitude which perhaps allows connections with other things whether it's the landscape or you know nature and things that can can help um help our minds or help our bodies and so certainly i was i suppose aware of some of those ideas or ideals beforehand and was probably consciously in some way trying to kind of reach out um, reach out for that solitude i suppose because mm, i guess actually equally you can feel lonely being in a crowd of people you can feel lonely being in a relationship you know and i think that's interesting and a really great point that you make about the difference between feeling lonely and, and, and solitude. And solitude is actually can be quite an empowering feeling um, and em- embracing that. Were, were there ever times, obviously being by yourself and you saying you are on foot and you are vulnerable, where you felt like you were in danger? Because I think what puts people off wanting to do something like this I know what sort of always worried me although I've, I've traveled solo a few times before and I've loved it and I've not come back it's been the best thing I've ever done but the, bef- the, the thoughts go through my mind beforehand like, what if this happens what if this happens I'm by myself um were were there any times when you felt you were in too deep what have I done um and did you have were you nervous before you went with these sort of pre-existing ideas definitely I I was interesting I was over the weekend I was running in the Pennines so I did kind of three days running in the uh, along the Pennine way and the last night I just camped out in a bivy bag on um, the side of uh, one side up in yeah up from the peaks and I definitely felt I was kind of out of the habit of just sleeping in what essentially like field um but by myself and some runners came past at like 1am i think they're training something with like head torches and definitely when you suddenly hear the footsteps and i was pretty remote place um and you definitely feel that like sense of nervousness and i think when i was in west africa i got used used to that lifestyle so, so quickly in a way i was kind of camping every night and i i got really into it and actually i didn't really feel nervous um then I think after I'd got over, I think that perhaps before I left, I had some nerves, but quite quickly after I'd sort of got into the rhythm of the journey, I became quite comfortable with the lifestyle. And I was in a part of the world where I was made to feel always like there was almost a kind of protective shield around me in some ways that any time I ever got into any trouble, which was normally just, I don't know, silly things like heat exhaustion or um, a couple of times I say collapse sounds a bit dramatic but you know and you just let your body kind of give gives up and that happened twice and immediately I was kind of picked up there were so many people kind of trying to work out if I was okay like giving me everything I needed water and and helping me back to my feet and every time I'd 
was uh, welcomed into you know a settlement or a village or someone's home they would then be telling me like what to watch out for on the road who to sort of look in at in, in the in the next village and it was definitely I felt that I was in a, um, a part of the world or in, in an environment where which just wasn't dangerous um, and in those countries and I think mm. one thing I mean I went when you go as a maybe European guy there's so many privileges you have um, and there's obviously a legacy of history there um, coming from Britain but I think one of the things is true and it's sad but walking anywhere in the world is probably safer as a man than a, as a woman and that's completely un, unfair and it shouldn't be the way but it probably is the case that you know sleeping out in a tent on your own in anywhere is maybe it shouldn't be but is uh you probably feel safer as a guy um, mm, yeah I, I think that I think that is just one of those things isn't it and if I was if I ever see kind of a woman I don't know hitchhiking by herself or something I was like oh gosh what are you doing but if I see a man doing it it doesn't ever cross my mind you know so yeah it is just one of those things that society has created for us but it's lovely hearing you talk about the villages that you came across and, and the people that you met and I think it's really it's a good thing to remember that the human race obviously we hear so many awful things on the news but the human race is kind you know there is so much kindness um within the world and you've obviously experienced that but you must have experienced real culture shock as well finding yourself walking into these tiny villages um do you have any sort of fun stories you can share with us um from the from the book about times when you've just walked into these villages and they've embraced you with ceremonies or spiritual awakenings or anything like that I mean it's, it's quite quite a lot I suppose also one of the I suppose set the scene a bit maybe in some of the parts of um, of Ghana and of Benin in particular I was walking through there's definitely like a very powerful sense of there being a like a community of people that there that are sharing perhaps much more or at least more visibly than perhaps where I come from in London so I'm I live on a street in Shepherd's Bush you know I get on my neighbors but I'm not sort of I don't know everyone I'm, I'm slightly detached from um from most of the people I live around which I think is is sad in lots of ways um whereas in the parts of West Africa I was in particularly in the countryside that wasn't really the case often the communities would be very tight-knit and there was, I would get invited the whole time. Often if I was walking and there would be a wedding, people would rush out um, and sort of pull me into the into the wedding, which would be outdoors and dancing. And and it would be quite surreal because you'd have come for, I don't know, been walking for kind of five hours, be like a bit like whacked and not quite sure what's going on. And then suddenly um, in a wedding for half an hour and then kind of on my way. Um, and there was, I was also very lucky to get, um, not asked to participate but to to sort of to, to visit um some of the ceremonies and there's an amazing um ecosystem of traditional religions in that part of west africa in particular um and benin is where the voodoo religion comes from for example in southern ghana i was walking through um an area where the ashanti culture is dominant and they have these amazing um ceremonies and festivals where they celebrate 
um, their cultures and um, often their ancestors and that often involves or sometimes involves kind of trance ceremonies and amazing music and certainly things that I wasn't used to seeing um, where I'm from in London and it was again really special to be able to um, at least take part as a kind of watcher um, in, in those in those ceremonies and to feel that you're you're kind of part of part of them and visually though it can be really amazing like masquerades and I mean really incredible to see um, so there's a lot lots of lots of that and I think again on foot part of the reason was just being on foot you kind of stuff happens to you maybe in a way that it doesn't um, yeah moving faster and you just kind of fall into what's happening around you um, and yeah, it was, it was great. <laughs> you just have to go with the flow with it, don't you, really, a lot of the time. Um, now, I know that in the book um, that you you reflect on, on grief. And I'm interested to hear from you how you feel that the simple act of walking in nature within Africa sort of helped you come to terms with the grief that you were, were dealing with. Because um, I guess... From my experience, I, you know, moving in nature can be so powerful, which is why I've started this podcast to, to chat with people about the powers it can have for the mind and the body in so many different ways. And I know that for you, coping with grief was one of those. So, yeah, if you could sort of elaborate a little bit more on that and, and tell us how it how it helped. Mm, absolutely. I think there's, I suppose, maybe two things um, to, to say. I think actually... The, first thing which isn't exactly answering your question but I will come yeah, to it. Uh, I kind of set out uh, on the walk um, with maybe quite a simple idea in my mind um, that I wasn't happy in my life I felt I needed a change of direction I had an instinct or a feeling that a, a walk could help um, I didn't set out to kind of write a book um, and actually I only started writing the book about four years after I, I got home um, when someone very sadly, someone I'm very close to had a, a breakdown and um, that person was in psychiatric hospital and I was visiting them every other day for the kind of month long period that they were in hospital. And it, um, I began thinking again about this most my walk and what it had done for me, seeing how walking played a part in that person's recovery. Um, in the last couple of weeks, he was in hospital. A volunteer would come and take him for a walk each day just for an hour. And then after he left hospital, um, walking became a kind of important part of his routine and I it definitely made me think in a different way about how I suppose powerful something as simple as, as walking can be um, and I think sort of bring it um, back to, to myself I guess I I my dad died when I was um, very small and I'd never really it wasn't consciously something I felt was say a problem in my life you know what I mean I didn't feel like I was kind of dealing with grief in, in, in any way or didn't feel like it was something that I had unresolved um, in any way but walking I think one of the things that's again so powerful about walking is it just opens it can open up space and I thought I needed to walk to kind of get a new routine and to shake off what I was becoming in that office but actually perhaps more what I needed was to confront things that I just hadn't even realized I needed to and actually the kind of space that that routine and that rhythm of life opens up I think can be a really 
yeah, amazing thing in that respect. So you just have so much time to to think and you have so little distraction. And I think also the effort, the connection, reconnecting your body and mind in certain respects, because before I was always hunched up, hunched over a desk, I wasn't really using my body. And actually I spent it too long just in my head, but not thinking, I don't know, not really engaging important parts of my mind and walking, especially over a very prolonged period of time seems to kind of unlock things for me. Um, and gradually that rhythm, I just began kind of thinking more and more about uh, my father, about what he meant to me, about he was big into mountaineering and I suppose some of things that I've gone on to really inspire my life. And um, and so, yeah, it's in the, in the book, I tried to explore that journey from a personal perspective, but also look a bit more at, I suppose, some of the mysticism or the psychology of walk, walking journeys um, and how they can be used as healing or ways to confront things that are that are unresolved. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the amount of times that if you've had a busy day at work or whatever, and you come home, you just go, I just need to go for a walk. You know, how many people do that? So many of us do. We just, we just need some headspace. But to do that for a prolonged period of time, I can imagine you haven't got the distractions of social engagements or the news or your phone bleeping at you. It creates new space in your, in your mind to reflect. I guess in in ways where they have always in the past been I guess coveted by everything else that's been going on and yeah we can easily shy away from stuff I think distract ourselves with everything else that's going on in our in our lives but the simple act of walking is is so powerful and you you explore that in waypoints beautifully and I've said to you before we started recording how I found reading parts of it really meditative <laughs> myself um because you kind of go into the rhythm with you um and, and actually at the end of the book you write um there's no end or summit just steps on a circuit that could go on forever and I thought that was really beautiful um could you tell us a little bit more about this reflection and, and why you wrote it I think at that stage it I think that bit comes from the kind of mountain section of the book. And that's why I say the book's loosely um, structured around three kind of regions, so the kind of rainforest region, uh, the desert region, and the mountain region. And each of them explores different ideas connected with those landscapes, and maybe the psychology of those landscapes. Uh, but that, I think, reflecting on there's a, a very famous pilgrimage to Mount Kailash in um, the Himalayas. And instead of um, going to the summit of the mountain. Um, the people who make that pilgrimage, they do circ circumambulations of it, so walking around and around. Um, and the idea in those pilgrimages and some of the, I suppose, Buddhist ideas around pilgrimage is that the point isn't to kind of reach an end, um, that the value in the pilgrimage isn't about getting to point B or reaching the church or whatever it is, reaching the mountaintop. It's, it's what's going on in the steps in in the middle and actually that things are really powerful kind of metaphor for anything often it's it's the journey it's the effort of the journey it's the struggle of the journey and the, it, it's that that generates the transformation and generates um the positive energy and generates the momentum and i think i was trying to i suppose re reflect on that 
in terms of what I was taking from the journey, particularly as I kind of near, near the end, that actually it was much more about the doing rather than the arriving. Um, and yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. I think definitely, I think you can easily set yourself a task, you know, I, I need to run the marathon, for example, or whatever it is. And yeah, the end, the, when you're in reflection, the end point is never what, the way you learn all your lessons from it's 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 the middle part it's the doing it um so how, how many miles did you did you actually walk that journey was about a thousand miles um and you did it in how long i did it it took a long time so i was i spent six months out there but i was spending kind of often i'd wait in a place for two three weeks there might be something that was like ceremony at the yeah time. So I, would, I would often walk for very i'd walk some very long days even 30 40 mile days sometimes but then i'd have long periods where i was in a place i spent quite a long time in a monastery in southern ghana and the journey itself was i walked i was always walking as it were in terms of how i traveled but i was spending long periods um along it kind of mm-hmm. not- <laughs> yeah yeah and 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 coming back to the uk obviously you you didn't return to your to your job you know to your trade and you've gone on to do something quite different was there was the job that you do now and obviously co-founded tribe has do you think the walk influenced what you wanted to do within your life moving forward um death i suppose the two aren't necessarily like completely connected but definitely it gave me a different perspective and I think it gave me uh, I was so lucky to have the opportunity to do that that trip um, the walk I, I was how was I 26 maybe and um, I had enough savings from working at the law firm I didn't have any ties that meant that I couldn't do it and I recognized what privileged position that that is you know 99% of people wouldn't have the chance to do it so I was really lucky to do it but it definitely gave me I suppose a confidence perhaps in taking the the less certain step um and that sometimes that can bring like amazing benefits but it can unlock things and I suppose that is something that I try to um carry through into other like big decisions in my life and in terms of um junction junction points I try and always recognize not recognize but remember that often the best times or the, when I've done the best thing it has been when it's been the hard thing or the thing that initially doesn't look like the sensible thing to do um and I think starting tribe tribe actually grew I should say out of another journey I, I set up with two friends and we did a thousand mile run um some years ago across eastern Europe and that run got a long story short but turned into this kind of forest gump community of runners or who were running to fight human trafficking and tribe sort of evolved out of that project and so it's very closely connected with that journey but I'm really lucky now and that lots of the things that I took from the walk whether it's being in nature or exercising um, adventure all of those are a big part of tribe through the events we put on the community we have the this sort of area of the world or area of our customers lives that we're in and so it's been really fun to still be living in, in certain ways in the way I was walking when we're kind of out doing long runs and all that kind of thing yeah no absolutely right Rob hold that thought my dog has just broken free and she's just come to say hello look at her back she has she's like in the kitchen she just came through the door so bear with right 
<laughs> Apologies about that. No, it's all. Nice. <laughs> I just saw the door go and I was like, hello. <laughs> <laughs> um, let me start the show. Right, that's cool. Um, anyway, I've got one more question to ask you, which is um, the question I ask everybody which is um, looking back at the ripples you've made in your life, what are the biggest lessons you've learned with keeping your mind and body healthy? And I know that you've kind of touched on this just a minute ago, but if you've got any more kind of nuggets of wisdom you can share with us. The, the thing probably through Tribe and through, I suppose, the last couple of years of my life that's been suppose, most important is almost sort of trying to pass on a baton to, to other people. And with Tribe, we, through our foundation, um, we do something called the Hike for Freedom um, project where we support um, human trafficking survivors to take on their own kind of challenges. Uh, the most recent one we've done is the, the Three Peaks. And seeing um, the impacts in in this instance, it was a group of women. The, the women's lives are so, so, so amazing. And actually, I find it a really kind of, I don't mean it in like corny way, but quite like refreshing thing in terms of giving me impetus because I find otherwise maybe I can get tired of doing some of the things that I know are really good for me, but actually trying to always be passing it on and um, giving other people the chance to do the things that, I found so beneficial um, to me. Um, unfortunately, through Tribe and the Tribe Freedom Foundation, I kind of have, yeah, we have the chance to do that. So I suppose that would be the thing I'd say. Yeah, no, amazing. And and if anybody listening wanted to find out more about you and and read the book, where where can they find you? And where's where's the best place to to order the book from? Um, thanks so much. Yeah, well, the book should be available so in all bookstores. It's on. You know, Waterstones, Daunt's, Foils, Stanford's, Blackwell's, obviously on Amazon and, and all good indies. And then if they want to find out more about um, me, like Tribe is a, a good place to start. There's tons of ways to get involved through our events, through um, volunteering at the foundation. So if you Google Tribe or the Tribe Freedom Foundation, there's, um, it's all, all there and we'd love to hear from you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I love, and I love the fact that, that Tribe has got this, you've got this other side to it and the community side and i'm sure that you're inspiring so many more people to to get out and move and just embrace the world that we live in so um no it's amazing and it's been really incredible um speaking with you today and and hearing firsthand you know your stories um after reading the book so thank you so much thanks so much for having me it's great to have you thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Start a Ripple podcast. If you like what you heard, then please do subscribe and write a review. It helps other like-minded souls find this podcast and means you'll never miss an episode. If you want to get in touch, then the best place to find me is via Instagram. I'm at with underscore India. Or you can find my wellbeing hub at Finn and Flow. Thanks again and speak to you soon.